and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hello, welcome to another edition of Capstan Live. I'm Helena Carmel, and I have a super special guest today, Jacob Wood, R&D guru, tax attorney, well-liked individual all around. I should have planned really a third um, descriptor, but Jacob Wood is here, and he made the time during tax season to talk to us about some of the um, hottest industries in R&D these days. Um, We're going to even do a whole little series and talk about some hot industries. And the first one we chose was software development. Jacob, thank you so much for making the time to come on Capstan Live today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Helena. Um, What makes software so hot? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things for software with the R&D credit is that you can find it almost anywhere now. So before it was only in maybe Silicon Valley or maybe really big companies, but, you know, it's pretty common these days to find a two to five person software development shop uh, that makes custom apps for the iPhone or does Salesforce integration. Um, And even at a big company that you think is a manufacturer or defense contractor, they probably have a software team of 10 or 20 people. Um, I've got a great example of a company I worked with for a while where they, um, were a manufacturer and then now they're more of a technology company. And that's just a great example of looking at, um, you know, who can qualify for this. Software is everywhere, I guess, in short. And, and absolutely. Yeah. And that's what makes it super hot. Um, but before we delve in, can you just give us a very, very quick and dirty intro to the R and D tax credit in general for our listeners? I know it's a dollar for dollar credit, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a dollar for dollar credit, uh, which can reduce your tax liability quite a lot. And it's an activities based credit. So what you have to be doing is um, something that meets what's called the four part test. So that is very briefly, you have to be creating something new or improved, which could be software. Actually, the tax code lists out software is Mm -hmm. one of those items. You have to have some kind of technical uncertainty. So you don't know exactly what to do. You have to go through a process to develop that business component. So in this case, that software. Um, and then lastly, it has to be technological in nature. So software pretty much checks all those boxes just by the normal routine software development process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really great candidate for this credit. And so if if the, the activity does um, pass the test, um, what kind of things can people claim on the credit? I know that there are qualified research expenses. Yeah, absolutely. So the the four types of expenses that would be relevant here would be, um, first of all, wages of your employees. Second of all, contractor wages. So that might be like outsourced software development. Mm. It does have to be domestic. So you can't be outsourcing overseas and claim those expenses. Right. Um, and then the third piece, which doesn't really apply to software, but would be supplies or materials. Um, potentially, if there was a real world physical rendition of something that was uh, related to the software that might qualify, but typically don't see that one. The last one then would be kind of cloud hosting. It's technically called a computer rental in the code, which is a throwback to the 80s. Love the it. tax code was, uh, uh, you know, uh, enacted for the R&D credit. Um, but really what that means now is is cloud hosting or, you know, AWS, uh, you know, rental of server space for test environments, that sort of thing. 
I was going to ask you what would fall under the supplies category in this industry. So yeah, I'm glad yeah, you mentioned so, that. So for supplies, really, yeah, there, you know, you rarely, rarely see it. Oftentimes, um, where you see supplies with a software claim would be in maybe a manufacturing setting where there's both software to support a like an associated process, hardware, a prototype, an associated something, or a prototype. Yeah, yeah, maybe to check if the software is working. We had a company one time that um, manufactured doors. And they, you could actually plug in the dimensions and everything for your doors. You could push it to the equipment on the floor. The equipment on the floor would set up and then produce the door. The door might be a prototype expense there uh, oh. related to software. But, oh. you know, that's that's about the only type of case. I okay, see. I see. Thank you for clarifying because I was wondering. Um, and one other thing I wanted to clarify too is that this can be um, software development for external use, like if you're making it for somebody else, right, for to, to sell or mm -hmm. lease to a client, but it can also be internal, like if you're making it for your own company, right? Absolutely. So, so the standard in the code for anything that's a business component is that it has to be held for sale, lease, license, or use. So if you were just kind of creating an app just for you personally to use, and it wasn't related okay. to the business, but you were working in a business, that wouldn't qualify. Um, but you know, if you're holding it for sale, lease license or use in your business, now there is a distinction between internal software and <clears throat> the tax code actually gave us some really good guidelines in 2014. Um, they updated the section 174 regulations mm. on software development and clarified a couple of things about the internal versus external Generally, if anything gets to internal use, so that's purely to support your own like accounting department, okay. it's pretty difficult to qualify that because you have to have a heightened three-part test on top of the normal four-part test. And that is that you have to be doing something that's innovative. Um, it, it introduces significant economic risk that it will fail. And oh. it's also not available commercially. So you have to do like market testing and some other research. The whole idea there, though, is that every company has some level of IT support, maybe some database management, and Congress is trying to incentivize development outside of that kind of normal baseline. So, for example, if you're just you know, modifying your ERP system so your accounting team can use it better, um, that would be internal use. However, if you're um, maybe upgrading your sales software so that you can punch in orders and they come back faster, say for a salesman in the field or something like that, uh -huh. that would actually be an external use. So as long as there's some kind of external component uh. to the software, um, and there's a few other requirements, but that's the basic distinction is you generally want things to have an external component of some sort um, because that heightened three-part test is pretty difficult to overcome. Yes, yes. I, I saw it written as a threshold of innovation test. Which sounds exactly, a little, yeah, tricky. Yeah, so well, and how do you prove criteria. that? It has right. to be a pretty large project to even make it worthwhile. Because a lot of times when people come to you with internal use, it's like one developer who spent thirty percent of their year on it. You're not going to do a whole bunch of economic analysis in order to qualify, you know, two thousand dollars of tax credit. So it has to be a pretty significant undertaking to even be worthwhile. To make right to make it worthwhile, that makes sense to me. Okay, so let's talk about like what would qualify. What would qualify? Obviously, if you're, you know, developing custom software, if you're improving your software, things like that. Um, 
that what about like like for integrating data or migrating data that yeah, those- so you, mm-hmm. yeah you do see a lot of times companies um you know salesforce integrations are a great one right oh, so there's a there's a distinction between a configuration which is using the software as it's intended and just making it more functional um, or customization, which might be some bolt-on functionality. So using, you know, Salesforce, pretty common uh, CRM out there um, as an example. You know, if you went in and just kind of used Salesforce to allow you to put information in faster or maybe upload it from your computer, that generally wouldn't qualify. However, I've seen some really great bolt-on applications where you can take a picture of a business card, it Ooh. categorizes the information, pushes it to Salesforce, and creates a contact, that would be something that's functionality outside of the original contemplation of the CRM. And so that would be something that would qualify. Oh, Um, yeah. That's so neat. So again, configuration, not qualified, customization or enhanced functionality, that would qualify. Right. Improving the the product or process. Yes, that Mm -hmm. totally makes sense to me. Um. And, and, you know, something also very interesting is it doesn't just have to be the people who are actively working on the software, right? Like they, we can take mm-hmm. um, wages for the people who are supervising those people, the people who are, um, you know, the over, who are, who are doing oversight, things like that, right? It doesn't just have to be the people who are actively performing the research activity. Yeah, that's right. And one thing that makes software a little bit unique is that, you know, if you're a, if you're a manufacturer, and you have somebody testing a product, typically they're going to be a technical person, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas software a lot of times is made for people who are not technical. And so when you have supervisory and supporting wages or expenses that you can qualify for the R&D credit, a lot of times the people that are in those categories are not themselves technical. In other words, they're not software developers. So, Uh you know, you or I, uh, who have a rudimentary knowledge of developing software, but At a pretty best. good knowledge of using software, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, most of the time I feel like I'm okay, right? <laughs> we might be testing something because we're testing it for user functionality ah. um, rather than maybe digging into the actual code. So it's important to recognize, even if you only have three or four software developers at your company, there might still be, you know, 10 or 20 people at some level involved because they uh-huh. might be testing it or overseeing the development. Uh, so, right. So user experience um, type of work is also also eligible for the credit. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I also noticed that some very fun things like virtual reality and video games could also fall under this category. That's correct. Anything that has a technical underpinning, remember that technological in nature uh, right. test. So, you know, integration of accelerometers into sensors and oh. making sure that that data is feeding back into your your video game or your, um, you know, modeling software. So there's even some like architecture companies and engineering firms where they do virtual walkthroughs of the buildings. And what they do is they they, you know, download a template of reality they go send a 3d scanner out to the field they wow. scan everything they integrate that in with their plans and then the customer can look at a walkthrough using vr um now not to say every architecture engineering firm is developing that technology but some of them are some of them have a few people in again to customize so it doesn't have to be developing from scratch i always say if you look at a, a value chain of you know a final functional product versus what was started with Every step there, if you're adding value, functionality, performance 
to the software or the whatever you're developing, there's probably some R&D. It's just going to be how much and what exactly is it. That is fascinating. Really? Wow. I guess I'm stuck in the past. When I think about VR, I think about those, those boosts in the mall. Oh, yeah. Sit in. Uh, Big plastic sword. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay, I feel like I have a good idea of what can qualify, but I want to take a second and talk about some kinds of activities that would not qualify. Sure. Um, so obviously, if it's outside of the U.S., it's a no-go, right, Jacob? That's right. And that's a unfortunately common structure as you see people right. outsourcing to Romania, Ukraine, India to do their development. Now, they could still have R&D in the U.S., but you do need to have direct R&D in the U.S. So it can't just be supervisory and support. You uh-huh. have to be supervising or supporting a qualified activity per the tax code. And that would mean you have to have you know, at least one developer or somebody doing solutions architecture, primary R&D in the U.S., and then you can take the supporting and supervising people in the U.S. too. I see. Um, so that's that's a nuance to look out for. Okay. Um, other things that might not qualify would be, you know, routine maintenance, bug fixes. So again, think about that baseline of resources you need to just oversee the R&D um, or oversee the software itself outside of R&D, um, you know, those are things that baseline you can't qualify. Okay. That is very helpful. Thank you. Um, so going back to wages, because wages would probably be our biggest QRE mm-hmm. here. Um, so we are talking wages for people who are performing the activity, supporting it, supervising it. So we're talking software engineers and we're talking developers, but we're also, what, what other titles are we talking yeah. So anybody in uh, solutions or architecture, which some Ooh. people think, you know, that's like building architecture, right. but that's the, that's the systems software term, architecture, systems architecture, yeah. um, you know, network engineer, you know, UI, UX, um, beta tester, um, anybody in one of those roles, typically they'll have either a computer science or a programming kind of background. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's not four-year degrees. A lot of times it's experience kind of uh, going up in the system, but you know, if, if you find a few of those types of people, there's normally a kernel of R&D that you can look at there. Oh, a kernel. I love it. Okay. Amazing. And tell me if this is correct. If an employee spends at least 80% of their time involved in the activity, you can take 100% of their wages towards the credit. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And and that's a really big benefit for software companies Huge. because- what you end up with uh, for most software firms is there's a few people who are fully involved. They're 80, 90, 100% involved. If you get to that 80% threshold where really their job is things right. that qualify for R&D, um, then you can claim 100% of their salary. So that's that's really a taxpayer-friendly benefit. Um, the other category you end up with um, are people that are, you know, 5, 10, 20%. Yeah. Maybe those are the supervisors, the testers, and so on. They're not being paid for that, but that's a part of their job description and function. I see. I see. Um, can we talk numbers? Can you give me an example, a case, uh, you work with some folks and and here's the story. I would love to get like some some real idea of qualitative numbers for people to to wrap their heads around. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the nice things about software is that the the people tend to be somewhat higher wage um, and the people who are qualified tend to be mostly qualified. So you end up with something where even if it's a small company, like let's say they have a million dollars in payroll, but they're a custom software development firm and they 
you know, pretty much fully qualify for this credit. It's not uncommon to get something like 70 or 80% of that $1 million of wages um, qualified for the credit. Wow. Now that would turn into something like a five to 10% credit on the federal level. Um, typically we'll set, we'll throw out a number like maybe seven and a half percent based on how the numbers come out. Um, and so, you know, if you had a million dollars of qualifying activities, that would be like 75,000. Um, and if you had, you know, uh, 80% of that, it would be somewhat less in the 60,000s. Um, but, you know, they can add up pretty quickly because that's an annual benefit. So wow. let's, let's just say you had a million dollars of qualifying expenses. That's not a huge company. That's maybe, what, 10 employees or something for a software developer. And you can go back and claim amended tax return credits for this. And so, you know, your first year credit would be something like $300,000 on a million dollars in expenses that are qualified um, because you're claiming the prior three years and the current year, and then it'd be 75,000 there. Oh, you can claim the prior three years and the current year all at once. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Goodness, so, I don't think I realized the, that. Wow. Yeah, the first year recovery is pretty large for software development firms. And then um, outside of that, then you can plan for this moving forward. Wow. Wowza. Okay. Um, so that's for a, a, you know, a bigger boy. What about if you're like a little startup? Um, I know there's like a special like mm-hmm. modified version of the credit for startups. Can you just tell us a drop about that? Absolutely. So if you are in your first five years of revenue and you're under $5 million in the year you're claiming this, you can actually use the credit against your payroll tax. Ooh. So that does have to be on an originally filed return. And so let's just say it's you know 2022 and you're filing the original tax return there. Um, you claim the credit, you're under $5 million for this year, and you're in your first five years of revenue, which is obviously a lot of hurdles, but that's a lot of startup companies, um, you can then claim the credit against your payroll tax. The benefit of that is that you may not have income tax. Typically, the Ah. credit's only utilizable against income tax. But in that first five years, you can use it against payroll, which every company with payroll pays FICA taxes. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. So it's a way Congress made for companies that are in their first couple of years to basically help get to profitability. I love that. A, a win for the little guy. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, and so I know documentation is key. Like what kind of documentation should, if software folks are listening to this and they're intrigued, like what kind of documentation do they need to support claiming the credit? Sure. So typically it's just the basic things you already keep. A lot of people keep like Jira logs, um, things like that, that are kind of, you know, who's working on what and when. Um, release notes, um, if you have different iterations of your software um, uh-huh. or or project notes about what you worked on and when. So, you know, typically we we combine contemporaneous documentation with interviews of the people. Mm-hmm. Software tends to have pretty good documentation. It's not required that you track everything, but you do need to have documentation to support the claim and to support the types of things you are claiming. So if you say, you know, employee A, worked on software development, we should be able to point to some of the code they worked on or some of the functionality that they helped develop in order to claim their activities. Mm-hmm. And um, and if somebody is interested and they want to, to learn more and they want to learn more about the process, Jacob, what's the mm-hmm. best way for them to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So on our website, we've got all of our contact information and you can schedule a meeting directly. Um, in this uh, podcast, we'll also have contact information available. And really what it starts with is just some basic financial information and some qualitative information about what, what your company does. We can pretty quickly and efficiently let you know if the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak. Oh, that's a fun metaphor. I, I didn't see it coming, but I liked it. Okay. So Jacob, thank you so, so much for sharing. I just feel like I learned so much about software just now and I see why it's so, so hot. Um, listeners, if you have questions for Jacob, we'll have his contact info in the podcast. Feel free to be in touch. If you liked what you heard, why not subscribe? We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or just go to our website at capstantax.com slash podcasts. I'm Helena Carmel here with producer Aaron Strongen. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.